Well, let's praise the Lord. It's, it's just awesome to know this morning that God loves us and that He has created us to love Him and to serve Him and to know Him. That is a truth that I know that I need to be reminded of this morning. Again and again reminded that God loves us and that God has been willing to redeem us. This is a great day for us as a church, but it's also coming at a time of great challenge. We've talked again and again about how the state of the world and things that are going on are are just interesting to say the very least. And within Christianity, uh, changes and, and alterations and things that we're trying to figure out. We're sobered as we look at what's going on in the world this morning. And we know that the time is short because we know that this can't keep going like it is going. It's different than World War One or World War Two. The, the stakes are higher. The hostility is stronger. The weapons that are possible are much more damaging. And we see it all point toward Israel and we see what's going on in our own country and we're sobered by that. But it should also give us a very renewed sense of urgency as believers that we've got to get the gospel out there, that we've got to show people the love and mercy of God so they will trust in him, so they will know Christ as Savior, so they will have the confidence that we have this morning to say, Lord, I'm made for you. I give my life as a sacrifice. It's for you this morning. We are yours. I don't know about you, but I'm with each passing day more and more desiring to see the Lord change us and to change the world and to to do in our midst what he did in Acts 2. When you look at a passage like that, and we're not going to this morning, but it's familiar. We've studied it recently. When when you look at a passage like that and and you see the power and the effectiveness of the ministry, I don't know about you, but I, I long for that. I remember those prayer meetings that we had two years ago before the church started. In fact, we had one two weeks, two years ago right now, tonight. A couple days before our first Sunday. And I remember us calling for the Lord and saying, Lord, do that work in our midst. We know that if believers and churches were like the believers and church in Acts 2, that the world would be changed spiritually, just as it was then. There's no question about that. And yet, we're not really seeing that. In fact, we're seeing just the opposite. And that raises the question this morning before we look at our text in Colossians 4. It raises the question, I think it's a reasonable question, is is what we see in Acts, what we read in Acts, what we see throughout the New Testament churches, really what's normal? Is that supposed to be what we're supposed to experience? I'm not talking necessarily about miracles or signs or things like that. I'm talking about the power of the church. I'm talking about the effectiveness of the gospel. I'm talking about thousands of people getting saved every day. I'm talking about the unity of the church. I'm talking about what was taking place and and the fact that those who opposed Christ had very little power against the movement of the gospel. Is that what's normal? Is that what we're supposed to expect that that Christianity and, and the work of the ministry should be like? Is the reason we're not seeing it this morning because somehow we failed to, to, to serve the Lord properly or failed to call on the Lord properly? Or, or is the simplicity of what they had and the power and the dynamic ministry that we see in Acts 2 not really for us today? 
I'm struck by that word simplicity because they didn't have any buildings. They didn't have uh, any, any New Testament. They didn't have any media. But when I read about it, I'm jealous. We have everything. We have all that we need. And yet, when we read that, we're jealous that, that there's something there. We long for the Lord to do that work in and through us. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it, in 2012, the Christian church being that influential. It's hard to imagine us being able to, to stand by our biblical convictions and that people would not only tolerate it and not only respect it, but that they would be drawn to it. That the church would be the influence of power in the world. That the church would be the one that makes a difference in people's lives. That the church and, and Jesus Christ actually would be the one that people depend upon more than anything else. Now, there's no way we can describe the church like that in 2012, and it may never be that way again. But instead of getting discouraged and instead of giving up, we need to reach for something different. But we just sang, we were made to live for you. If that's true, and it is, then shouldn't our greatest and our only desire be that God, because he has called us, because he's made us in his image, because he gave his life for us, because he redeemed us, that our greatest and only desire would be God do an amazing work in and through us. Do an amazing work in and through us. Not something mystical, not something weird, not something that brings attention to us and away from him. Just something that he will do as a result of something very simple in our lives, something that will bear so much fruit and have so much effectiveness that our expectation as we wake up every morning is, Lord, you're about to work. You're about to do something. I'm just going to I'm just going to watch as I serve you. I'm going to be amazed every single day that you're about to do a powerful work. How does that happen? Well, it starts with something very simple. And his instruction to us is here in the book of Colossians. If you haven't turned there already, would you turn to Colossians chapter 4? Paul never visited the church in Colossae. He loved it. He knew about it. He had people that he sent to it, but he never was there. But he writes a letter to them, and he writes it as he's sitting in a Roman jail. This is his first imprisonment in Rome, and he writes to the church a very powerful and very deeply theological letter. It's the most Christ-centered letter that he wrote. Christ is all through this. It is about the supremacy of Christ and about uh, everything that he is and everything that he does. Now, Paul wrote that because there was a strong influence of false teaching in Colossae, and they denied the deity of Christ there. So Paul defends Christ as God in flesh. Because it was a trade city, there was a strong influence about other gods. So Paul defends Christ as the Lord of creation. There was a strong push to legalism. So Paul defends Christ as the one who reconciles us to himself by fulfilling the law. Legalism isn't really a problem in our culture in 2012. In fact, it's probably just the opposite. We've given ourselves so much latitude and it's resulted in a lot of drift from the word. But that's why Colossians is so important because Paul brings back to the only answer. 
the answer to legalism, the answer to false teaching, the answer to works theology, the answer to everything is Jesus Christ. And he presents Christ as all-sufficient. He says our responsibility is to be deeply rooted in him. You see this in chapter 1, to be built up and established in our faith. And when we do that, it has a practical effect on our faith in terms of what the Lord calls each of us to do. Now, if you look back to the start of chapter 4, we're just going to read one verse this morning, but if you look back to the start of chapter 4, in the second verse, Paul challenges us to devote ourselves to prayer and to thanksgiving. Those are the two essentials. The first leads to the second, and the second comes out of the first. Prayer leads to thanksgiving, and thanksgiving abounds the more that we pray. In year three as a church, in year three as a congregation, we are going to put a stronger emphasis on prayer. We're going to pray more fervently. We're going to pray more often. And we are going to break out of our shell and we're going to call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to seek his face on a regular basis. And we are going to praise him fervently. I, I, would, I would challenge us in year three that our worship doesn't sound the same. Not that it's bad. Not that we're not singing well. But I'm telling you, we need to be blowing the roof off this place every week. We need to be praising God so freely and so openly and so fervently because we love Him so much and because we desire to tell Him that we love Him so much, that nothing is held back. I know that's a challenge for some of us. I know some of us were raised in a tradition where we didn't sing or, or, or it's uncomfortable. We don't like our voice. Listen, who cares? God doesn't say only sing if you've got a wonderful voice. If so, half of us wouldn't be up here. I'm not going to say which half, but it would include me. We need to praise the Lord. Let me say it again. We need to praise the Lord. We need to shout His name. We need to declare His name. We need to talk about Him. We need to honor Him. Come on, no more shyness now in year three. We've been saved long enough, most of us, that we shouldn't be holding back anymore. I want to shout the name of the Lord this morning. When we sing Jesus, we say, Jesus, He is our Savior. He's our Lord. Let's declare His name. So year three, church, we're going to call on His name and we're going to praise His name. And then Paul says in verse three, pray for me that the Lord would open up a door for the word to be spoken more fully. What an amazing statement for somebody who's sitting in jail. As he's sitting there in this Roman cell, he is still looking for every opportunity to share the gospel, to show people the love and forgiveness of the Lord. How many know that we need that kind of passion and commitment more and more as the days get shorter and shorter? Listen, the time is ticking. Don't be, don't be uh, asleep at what's going on. The Bible even says that. Listen, don't slumber now. The time is ticking. The time is getting shorter and shorter. The response is not to fall back. The response is to go forward with more passion and more commitment. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He may have his head cut off. But he says, pray for me. I want every opportunity I can find to share the gospel. Pray that the doors would open. How ironic that is for somebody that's sitting in a cell with a door shut. Pray that the door would be open, that, that God would, would give me free reign, that there would be no hindrances to the gospel getting out there. And then he calls the Colossians and us 
to do the same. Look at the next verse. He says, verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward those who don't know the Lord and make the most of every opportunity. Now you say, well, my situation's difficult and, and, and there's a lot of stress and, and you don't know the obstacles. Listen, this guy's in jail. What greater obstacle is there? He doesn't have the freedom to walk around and talk to people. And yet he says, there's an open door here. We have an opportunity to share the gospel. Then he talks about his fellow workers in the ministry. Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and John Mark and Justice and Epaphras and Luke and Demas. And then we get down to where our text is. Go down to verse 16. He greets the church in Laodicea. Laodicea was about 12 miles from Colossae. And he tells the Colossians, have the Laodiceans read this letter. It's like if there was a church in Kenosha. And he said, hey, take, drive, walk down, take the, this letter to the church in Kenosha and have them read it. And I sent them a letter and you guys read that too. He says, go to Laodicea, take this letter and, and get the one that I have there and, and bring it back. We don't have the Laodicean letter. But we have the Colossian letter. That's interesting that he mentions Laodicea at this point. Because we know from Revelation 3 that Laodicea was the church that the Holy Spirit calls out of the seven churches. He says, you're, you're the church that I have a real problem with. Because you're not hot and you're not cold. You're just lukewarm in your attitude to me. Uh, the reason that the Laodicean church had been lukewarm, it says in chapter 3, is because they had become very self-sufficient. They didn't see a need for the Lord. Now, we don't know if that's already started at this point, and Paul's gotten wind of it somehow, or, or if just the Spirit burdened him with the sense that there was some drift happening. We do know from history that, that uh, excuse me, let me not go there yet. He, either way, whatever the case is, Whatever is going on, he brings them back to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. He says, look at what's going on. Look at what you need to know. Not the false teaching, not the influences of the culture, not yourselves, not who you are, not how great you are. Look at Jesus Christ. Lukewarmness always starts with indifference toward the person and work of Christ. It starts with, with taking God's love and God's sacrifice and God's mercy for granted, for becoming flippant about it, for, for not praising the Lord every morning. Lord, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that your mercy is here fresh for me this morning. Thank you that I'm not in my old life, which was worthless and going nowhere, where I trusted in myself. Lord, thank you that I'm not there anymore, that you have redeemed me. When we stop being broken and grateful for that, that's where lukewarmness starts to creep in. And as that happens, we start to love ourselves more and more and serve ourselves more and more rather than loving Christ first and foremost and serving Christ first and foremost. And as that happens, then we start to believe the enemy's lie. You can make a verbal commitment to the Lord and still live like you want to. Oh, it's great. God's so cool, and, and, and you just, you can trick him kind of a little bit here. You just say, I'm saved, and then you live for yourself. And God will be fine with it, because he says, once you're saved, I can't release you. So, so you're mine. So just live like you want. And pretty soon, lukewarmness just starts to creep in. 
And we get that take everything and give nothing back mentality about God's mercy. Now, that's why this is interesting right here. It's why it's interesting that these two verses, verses 15 and 16, actually just verse 16, is, is right before our text of the morning. Our text of the morning is verse 17 of chapter 4. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Let's read it again. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Now imagine, take yourself back 2,000 years, imagine that you're sitting in Colossae, and you're at a gathering of believers, at a service like this, you've sung and you've given and you've worshipped, and then a letter from the Apostle Paul is opened and read. You don't have a New Testament. The, the, the cultural pressure against Christianity is very strong. You love the Lord. You just want to learn. You want to mature. You want to know more about this theology and this faith that you've put in Christ. And all of a sudden there comes a letter from the Apostle. And it's come from Rome on a long journey. And it finally gets, and it's addressed just to your church. And the, the leader, whoever has the letter, opens it up. And everybody gets very silent because now Paul is writing. He's the closest thing you know to, to somebody that can teach theology. They open up the letter and they start to read it. And Paul talks about walking worthy of the Lord and the greatness of Christ and the, the glory of the gospel. And then he calls you to be built up in Christ and to resist philosophies and false teachings and, and to die with Christ, to put on the new man, to show love for each other and to serve one another in a way that honors the Lord. And then he talks about these people that you know and minister to your congregation and, and you think it's just about done. And then out of the blue, right at the end, he calls out Archippus. Just, just the very last part, he says, tell Archippus something. And everybody turns and looks at Archippus and he's like, what, 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 what? And people can't help staring at him and wondering why he's singled out by Paul. But the message that Paul sends is unmistakable. Archippus, get focused. Get to the work of ministry. Complete the assignment that God's given you. Now, Archippus, don't quit. Don't waver. Fulfill your work of ministry. Talk about a room getting silent. Now, there's no indication from Scripture or from church history that Archippus was a person with a full-time ministry calling or that he was a leader or, or, or any kind of prominent person. The only other mention of him in the Bible is in Philemon verse 2. And there he's described as a fellow soldier. It's a term that's used a lot in scripture to denote somebody that's really committed to the work of ministry. But, but there's no indication that he has a title. Philemon and Colossians were written about the same time, about 61-62 AD. Scholars think that Philemon was written first. So maybe by Colossians 4, Paul is concerned that Archippus is discouraged or, or, or that he has gotten lazy or that he's uncertain or that he's 
distracted or, or, or somehow undisciplined. Maybe he sees in Archippus a little bit of that Laodicean attitude. Or maybe he's just trying to charge him up. Maybe he's trying to stir up in him the urgency of the calling to the work of ministry that's given to every believer. Because look at the second part of the phrase. He says, take heed, Archippus. Look at the next phrase. To the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, every word of Scripture is important. Even the prepositions. Everybody remember what a preposition is. I know ninth grade English was a long time ago. Even the prepositions that the Holy Spirit uses are important. Notice that it's not the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Because that would denote that there's some kind of special calling that's specific to Archippus. That God has said, Archippus, you have this specific work of ministry. Like Paul Rhodes, you have the specific ministry of Harbor Rock Tabernacle. That's where I want you right now. Archippus, you've received this calling from the Lord. That's not what he's saying. Because that would mean that this verse is only to him. Instead, the word is in. The ministry you have received in the Lord. There's a much broader implication now that includes all of us. When we're forgiven and we're saved and we're transformed and we're adopted and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our relationship changes with the Lord. Before trusting God, we were estranged, we were separated. The Bible says we were enemies of God, not because he made us enemies, we made ourselves enemies. So before Christ, we were separated from the Lord. But now as the spirit changes us and dwells in us, we are now called in the Lord. In fact, if you look back at verse seven, Paul says, Tychicus and I are bondservants in the Lord. A bondservant was somebody who served his master to the complete disregard of his own will. No will, no desire, no emotions. For a Christian, it meant complete and utter devotion to the Lord and to his word and to his will. It meant disregarding your desires, disregarding your control, disregarding everything that you want to lay yourself at the cross and to follow Christ in every area of your life. And because of that, being in the Lord then becomes the driving motivation of every thought, every action, every word. And it becomes the impetus to do the work of ministry and to spread the gospel. So while Paul is singling out Archippus, he's also speaking to us. But for the moment, Archippus, get busy. Get going. Complete the work that you have received in the Lord. But while we see his name, we also have to understand that this instruction is the work assignment that every believer gets. Now let me ask you this morning, is that how you view your life? If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've trusted in him, if you say he is my savior, he is my Lord, I am serving him. Do you recognize this morning that you are on assignment from the Lord to finish the work that he has given to us? 
First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, therefore, my beloved brethren, stand firm, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's that phrase again. In other words, as you have relationship with him, as you're united with him, as you're filled with his spirit, as you're made in the image of him in terms of your sanctification, as you're walking with him, becoming like him, seeking him, trusting him, serving him, living for him, talking about him. As you do that now, stand steadfast. Be immovable. Don't waver now. This is the work of the Lord. And we need to not just be doing it. The Bible says we need to be abounding in it. That it needs to be overflowing out of our lives. Now I want you to notice, this is not a message that God gives to a conference of pastors. This is a message and a calling to every single person who trusts Christ as their Savior. And the job of the church, the job of this church is to disciple, prepare, and encourage believers to go out and complete that assignment. We will do that more and more as a church. We will disciple, and we will prepare, and we will encourage each other. We've got work to do. Come on now, we got to get it done. Listen, this is where the Church of America has gotten so off track over the last three decades because we've tried to appeal to people, and we've tried to appease people at the same time. We've tried to make people happy instead of calling them to be holy. We've tried to say, well, you don't really need to do that much instead of saying, no, there's a job. We need to be faithful to the work of ministry. And as we've seen borne out, people are unfulfilled when the goal is to make them happy. You think the people that went out and and had, I I was in Walmart Friday, carts just loaded. Of what recession? We have a recession? There's a line around Target for hours. Our people are, have no way to pay for it. Are they happy today? Oh, I got my shopping done. Well, good. Good for you. You happy? Is it about us just getting more stuff? We will always be unfulfilled when the goal is to be happy. Because life is about more than that. It's about knowing that you were made for something more, something not about you. It's an understanding that the Lord of all, the God of the universe, loves you more than you can imagine to the extent that he sacrificed to save you and that when he changes you, he changes you forever and you're his. And then he says, now You have a job. Don't be discouraged because I've already given you victory. Don't be passive because I've given you power. I don't want your walk to be once a week, part-time, preoccupied with what the world says is good. I want you to hunger and thirst after righteousness and take heed to the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his And that's our work now. And it's a wonderful, fantastic assignment. Francis Asbury said, the devil will attack you in a thousand ways. There will be trouble left and right. How many know that's true? But he said, you will never be happier than when you're doing the work of the Lord.
you will never be happier than when you're doing the work of the Lord. That's why Jesus' last words to us were not sit and wait. They were not go and rest and study and worship and, and be into yourself. It was not be all stressed about the world. The last word Jesus said to us was go and work. Go and work. Be witnesses and preach and teach and evangelize and make disciples and baptize. Are we going to be opposed? You know we will. Will it ever be easy? Nope. Will we be criticized that we're not doing it the right way? There's no question. But will the Lord bless us and give us power and an effective ministry when we complete our assignment? How many know that the answer is absolutely? When we fulfill the assignment, God says, boom, I'm going to give you power. And that power is not for you. It's power to do the work so people will know me. But I want you to see, look at the verse one more time. He doesn't say begin the work. He says complete the work. Take heed means to look at it. Look at, look at all that you need to get done. Not, hey, Archibus, you better get started now. I've got a lot of stuff to do. He says, you've already started, and for some reason, you've stopped. You need to finish what you started. He will be faithful to complete his work. He will begin the good work and you will be faithful to complete it. Listen, Christ will take care of his part, but he says, I'm giving you a part. Now you need to finish it. But what happens to us is, is we get all inspired. And we're all psyched up and we got our second anniversary in the choir and it's been great. But Christmas is coming and there's so much to do and we have the tea next week and I've got to get my tree up and and it's getting cold, and I, the hours are short, and I, I'm so busy, and I'm so stressed, and there's so much to do, and things happen, and life gets in the way, and, 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 and the excitement fades, and it just gets left there. I've even seen that in the last year. I've felt it in my own heart. Losing some of the fervor, losing some of the excitement. But listen, we're just getting started. I remember reading an article that says you need 18 months to plan before you launch a church. We didn't do that. We took a month and a half. So it hit me this week. It's, it's like we're eight months old. Really, technically, we, we've just laid foundation now. Now we have a fresh work of ministry to do. There's work to do to expand the ministry, to reach out and serve the community, to spread the gospel, to disciple believers to maturity, to minister to those who are hurting, to strengthen relationships, and on and on. And the devil's going to fight it endlessly, but who cares because we have an assignment for the Lord and the Lord's already defeated him. So he's going to oppose us, but we're going to keep moving forward. And the name of the Lord and his goodness endures forever, so as we serve him, the Lord will bless this church if we are faithful to him and to his work. But the work is tough. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also, I labor. Listen to the verbs here. I labor 
striving. The word means intense work where you're sweating hard and the veins are sticking out of your neck, right? It says, I labor and I'm striving, I'm sweating, I'm working hard according to his power, which works mightily in me so that I can finish the job. The work is going to be hard, but we have an assignment. What's your assignment? What is God calling you to do? Just within this own church, there are so many ways you can be involved, and there are about to be a lot more. Next couple of weeks, we're going to launch some new ministry initiatives. Maybe the Lord's calling you to sing in the choir. I see some of you singing out there. You need to be up here. Maybe he wants you to teach kids. Maybe he wants you to greet people or to minister to college students or or seniors or to be a prayer warrior or to do tech or to give more than you are or to come up with ways that we can reach people more effectively for Christ or to, to develop outreach programs. Listen, everybody has an assignment. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that the body of Christ is held together and grows and builds itself up, builds itself up in love as each individual part does its work. The ear can't take a week off. My arm can't say, I don't think I'm going to work today. Let the left arm do it. The feet can't say, you know, we're really tired. Actually, they are very tired. But uh, we don't, we don't feel like walking today. Every part does its job so the body is held together, so the joints and the ligaments all work together so that we can move forward. Christ says, that's what you are. That's what the church is. You are the body of me. And all the ligaments and all the parts and all the functions, as each individual part does its job, people grow and mature and are built up in love. And in case we're feeling insecure, like I don't matter and I don't have a place and I don't know what to do. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, the Lord has placed every member of the body exactly where he wants them to be. And every member is vitally important. Don't sit there week after week and say, well, nobody knows me and and I don't know what to do. And and, and, and listen, stand up, meet somebody, greet somebody, say, I don't know you. I know it's out of the comfort zone to be out of the comfort zone for me. Be involved. This is our church. This is the body of Christ. Every individual part has an assignment. Doesn't mean it's going to be cake. Our faith and courage is going to be stretched to uncomfortable levels. And we are invariably called out of what is easy to what's challenging. But when we stay faithful... And we stay focused on being an archivist. Completing the assignment that the Lord has given us. That's when the Lord will use us in amazing ways. Like the choir sang, we give our lives as a sacrifice for him. We give our lives as an offering. Paul said in another passage, I am poured out like a drink offering. In other words... When you pour out a glass, there's nothing left. It's all gone. He says, my life is poured out. Everything is the Lord's. And when we do that, God blesses.
And when that happens, it has the effect of blessing others, whether leading them to trust Christ or helping them mature in their faith or supporting the work of more ministry. Let me give you an example. I'm done of of this, that you and I, listen carefully now, don't be distracted. Let me give you an example that you and I have experienced this week, even though you don't know about it. God has blessed us in so many ways. I don't want you to think by what I'm going to tell you that it's just this way. God has blessed us in so many ways. But let me tell you how he's blessed us in a unique way this week. My mom and dad have had a ministry for years. My dad's been in ministry about 60 years. And the church I grew up in, there were many people whose lives were impacted, but there was one man in particular whose life was very impacted. I knew him and I knew his sons at my first ministry. And he called my parents last weekend and he said, I want to give a gift in honor of you. And they said, well, uh, they told him about our church. And he said, well, I want to I honor you and your ministry and, and how you affected my life by giving a gift to Harbor Rock. So this week, we got a check for $10,000. Let's praise the Lord. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because as we complete the assignment, God uses that to impact lives in ways we have no idea. I haven't talked to this man for 30 years. I get a call. My dad says, you need to call him. I call him. We visit. We visit. He said, the Lord has used your parents. I'm not telling this about my parents. Listen to what I'm saying now. The Lord has used their ministry to change me. And because it's changed me, I want to help you. And because he's helping us, now we can go help change the lives of others. See how it keeps going? So this gift is for the work of ministry because the time is short. When this church started, the first conversation we had, Joe and Garl, we sat in that room and they said, the time is short. We need to get going. I said, you're right, we do. We're two years later. As my dad said a few years ago, the trumpet's out of the case. The time is short. The work is here. Take heed to it. The ministry that you and I have received in the Lord. Now, church, let's finish the work. Let's complete the assignment until Christ comes back or until we die. And I think Christ is coming back first. Let's finish the work because we're just getting started. We've just begun. We're just starting. Now we have work to do. Let's pray together. You've listened well, but let me take just a minute as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, that the Lord's been speaking to you this morning. And this has been a message for you.
You've been convicted. You've been sitting on the sidelines, so to speak. You know God saved you. You know God's called you. But you just, there's so many reasons you can give. And many of them may be valid. But you know that God is saying to you this morning, it's time for you to complete the assignment. I don't know what that means for your life. I'm not even going to try to guess. It's between you and the Lord. But I want to challenge you and encourage you as your friend and your brother and your pastor this morning. If that's you right now between you and the Lord, we're going to raise your hand or come forward or anything. Just between you and the Lord right now. Confess that. Say, Lord, I've been an archivist. And I have a calling. I've got to finish the work. Lord, show me. What do you want me to do? I will do it. Don't pray it if you don't mean it. But we want the Lord now. Lord, we want you to do a fresh work. A new work. We're just getting started, Lord. We sense that the time is short. We sense that the work is huge. That the fields are white. The laborers are few. Lord, we want to be laborers. We want to be your workers. We want to be the one that fulfill the work. That finish the assignment. So Lord, broaden what we're doing. Give us a fresh hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give us a new desire, a new commitment to the work of ministry. Lord, in my own life, first and foremost. Lord, you've blessed us. Again, we see evidence this week of you blessing us unexpectedly. And yet, Lord, you think highly enough to say, keep going in the work of ministry. Keep doing the work that I've called you to. And Lord, we ask you, to bless it and to guide us and to give us wisdom. How can we best serve you? How can we best declare your name? How can we best minister to people? How can we best disciple people? Lord, show us. We need your wisdom. And Lord, as we go forward confident in you, we will do so trusting and seeking you. And we'll praise you. Lord, may this next year be full of praise. May this next year be completely different in how fully we praise you and how fervently we seek you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the work that you have already done and the work that you have waiting for us. We praise you and we exalt you. We pray this in Jesus' name.